Pulse Audio Podcast Network. A Minnesota poem. It's winter in Minnesota and the gentle breezes blow 70 miles an hour at 35 below. Oh, how I love Minnesota when the snow's up to your butt. You take a breath of winter air and your nose gets frozen shut. Yes, the weather here is wonderful, so I guess I'll hang around. I could never leave Minnesota because I'm frozen to the ground. That was a, that was a poem written by the city of Chaska. Um, and it's cold here in Minnesota. And my dogs have kind of almost been getting frozen to the ground. I That was an amazing Wasn't intro. It? It that, and that really encapsulated everything I think we're all feeling. Because, yeah, it's cold as shit out. And it sucks. Right. But now to the actual thing. This is Whining About History, <laughs> where two longtime best friends talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of and have a glass of wine while doing it. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And we have a special guest today, our friend Katie. Hello, I'm Katie. What's she, up? She's we, been on the podcast previously. Yeah, we had her on our first history happenings where I covered the Seneca Falls Convention. Hopefully the audio quality is a little better this time because she's using a much better mic. Yay. So you can hear my voice. Yay. Yay improvements. Yay. Yay technology. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, So Katie is a... Kind of like living historical badass in her own right because she is in a was traditionally considered a male dominated field of agriculture. Yay! Yeah, I'm an agricultural extension educator. Um, definitely did not grow up on a farming background, but I was very heavily involved in the FFA, and that's really where I got my inspiration for for being a part of the ag world and just everything involved with it. Nice. Yeah. So if you find plants in your backyard and you're like, what the hell is this? You can text that those pictures to Katie at Katie at whiningaboutherstory.com. No, I'm kidding. I was like, whoa, I kept my own email with you yeah. guys? Cool. We're just gonna get, we'll just get one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just going to be a bunch of pictures of weeds of it being like, is this pot? Is this pot? No. No, you didn't find pot growing wild in your backyard. My Calm mom down. did. But Shut it's, up. it's not like smoking pot. It's like industrial. Yep. It's um. so back in the day. They get real tall to, too. They do. Um. So people used to grow like industrial hemp back in the 50s. Um, yeah, my 60s. mom found some. She's like, yep. Kelly, I have weed in my yard. I'm like, mom, that's not the smoking kind. <laughs> and actually one of um, the research projects was identifying where wild hemp was growing. And so then one of um, my, my colleagues. backyard. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> now, one of my colleagues would go out and collect seeds from this wild hemp because they want to check the genetics um, because that's, that's what they're looking for. So, yeah. That is insane. I stand corrected. You definitely do have pot growing in your backyard. <laughs> yeah, right. Everyone go out right now. Though find it you're more likely to get a headache than you are to get a high if you smoke that right i, I, I was gonna say you're saying it's not the smokable kind i'm like yeah but anything is smokable i at mean least once yes <laughs> <laughs> all right well we are so happy to have katie joining us for the podcast and uh she's also a friend of the podcast she listens she actually listens which blows my mind i was like i know well, right i'm like because i don't know i have friends who are like that's so cool you're doing that i'm like oh have you listened no and i get it like Right. Not everyone's into podcasts, uh, but the fact that Katie actually listens, I'm like, what? I love it. So, uh, Katie is our say their name for today. Yay, Katie. Aww. Double E. We've actually, okay, we talked about her in the past because she was the friend that Kelly was convinced 
I was friends with. I'm like, I've literally. Yeah, I you guys went to Scotland together. Yeah, I'm like, I've literally never met this person. I have no idea who you're talking about. You're like, no, no, Katie with two E's. I'm like, that doesn't help me. <laughs> and then we met and we became like, like we clicked right away. And yeah. I was like, oh, it's like I have known you forever. <laughs> but I do know the Katie that you did go to Scotland. Yeah, yeah I do too. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, it, it, it just happens to be there's several Katies in the friend group. So, yeah. Yep. And, and she actually listens to the podcast. Yeah, so she does. What's she does up? too. What's, what's up, up, other Actual Katie? Scotland Katie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the wine we are drinking today, we are revisiting our friend Sam Plunkett from Victoria, Australia, with the Butterfly Effect 2020 Vio Genet. This is a white, as you can tell by the fact that I can see through the bottle. And yes, as everyone can clearly see. Yes, clearly. Ha, huh, I get it. That's a pun. So the back says, I've had the pleasure of making great Australian wines for over 20 years. And after all that time spent in the cellar, I've learned that small things can make a big difference. That inspired the name for my own label, the Butterfly Effect. This beautiful Viognier has a pale gold color. And great intensity of flavor, particularly apricot. Mm. In the mouth, it feels both rich and refreshing. Angels, it's a pleasure making wine with you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Cheers, Sam Plunkett. I um, I kind of went to like a weird Southern Belle thing there. Yeah, didn't I was I? like that was an interesting <laughs> accent. Yeah, I've been uh, rewatching Golden Girls. That would be where I recognize <laughs> that accent from. <laughs> Yeah, and Blanche Devereaux is, like, the best. Like, I just love hearing her talk, and especially when she's describing, like, oh, and men with their... I can't I can't get to the accent now, but, like, oh, with the big, strong hands wrapped around my tiny waist. I'm like, oh, my God, ASMR mommy. <laughs> Give it to me, Blanche. <laughs> Emily likes older women. I, I Dude, Blanche, come on. She's, she's a classic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, cheers. To Katie. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh, triple clink. Menage clink. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was going to go with classic three-way, but I like that better. I I almost just did the three-way, but then I'm like, wait, I can make it French. (laughs) And it's probably one of the few French words you can probably say. (laughs) Am I right? You know what's going to happen? Guillotine. I'm going to meet an actual French person and they're going to tell me that I've been pronouncing menage a trois completely wrong. Not even close. Not in the, not even in the ballpark. It's okay. That's what I'm going with. I liked the one from last episode better. What was that one? Um, oh, electric. oh, yeah. Um, electric I mean, it's, adjacent. It's, yeah, electric adjacent. <laughs> it's good, but it's, I don't know, there's just... It's lacking something. Yeah. It's more subtle. That that particularly apricot is not coming through. There's like a little hint of it, but it's just not, I don't know. It's not my jam. Yeah. And I, so I love Sam Plunkett's butterfly effect. He's Mm -hmm. got this, a Cab Sauvage Shiraz that are super fucking good. So definitely like check out butterfly effect. It's good stuff. But yeah, I mean, we're, I'm not really a big fan of whites or Viognese. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting like because, yeah, I feel like there's just something not there that I feel should. Right. Be. Like it, it, I feel like it should be punchier and it's 
not you know it's what i mean like there subtle. should there should be the more like a, an acidic kick or something and it there's not and yeah because like, with, with that smell the smell of the wine it really feels like it, it really should kind of pack that kind of punch but i mean whites it's a very mellow yeah i if you guys weren't already drinking other stuff that you can clearly taste i'd be a little concerned like what do you mean you can't taste the fucking wine <laughs> well like it has a taste it's yeah. just subtle oh crap oh my god Ooh. Oh my God, the table just rose. I think the table disagrees with our assessment of the wine. I might have made a (laughs) boo-boo. I've actually done that before. So the the table we use, our our tea table is actually like this really fancy glass electric table that can rise and fall. And if it's not locked, you can very easily lean on the touch buttons. Mm -hmm. Like they're not even actual buttons, so you don't even know they're there. And then all of a sudden the table will start moving and then we think it's possessed. And then we got to get the sage and it's a whole thing. It is. Sometimes we have to call the priest. Yeah. And that guy, that that one time Atari came in the room. You know what? He's getting such a fucking attitude with me, that priest. He's like, again. And I'm like, bitch, I don't want to get like sucked up by a demon right bitch we ain't into that like if you didn't want to deal with my demon problems you you shouldn't become a priest yeah like you know what i'm calling about you can make choices (laughs) you know why i called you here uh (laughs) father difficult oh that's funny oh i get to start today you do i need to open the right set of notes I mean, I could just repeat the same story. Oh, my God. And then I clicked on the same story again. (laughs) Well, because they they switched positions because of which one I've opened more recently. I hate when that happens. Esther is like, no, pay attention to me now. We're not done. You you told me I'm a gem and I will shine. God damn it. (laughs) All right. So I'm covering Faye Del Mundo. I love that name. That's a beautiful name. Well, just just like Faye Del Mundo. Mm -hmm. Like... It, it makes me think of Faye of the World. Yeah. Yeah. So she was born in Manila in the Philippines on November 27th. Um, apparently 191. Apparently I deleted part of the number. Um, <laughs> 1911. Okay. 191. I mean, it's she a real date. old. No. Um, 1911. She was one of eight children of Bernardo Del Mundo and, and Pays or Paz. I don't know how to say it. It's P-A-Z. I think it's pause. Pause. Uh, Her family home was opposite the Manila Cathedral. That's kind of cool. That's a really cool view. Right? Bernardo was a prominent lawyer from Marinduque who served one term in the Philippi Assembly um, in the province of Tayabas. I don't know why I put all these things in there. (laughs) Kelly, the look Kelly just had (laughs) when she she failed to pronounce that just... Linguistic butchery abounds. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I shouldn't, like, I feel like I should know this better. I, like, because all through high school and stuff, I had a Philippine, like, a Filipino friend, but, like, she didn't, you know, she didn't, like, speak the language. So I'm, I'm just imagining, like, what you, you can't pronounce Filipino words. You have a Filipino friend, though. Yeah, right. No, I can pronounce, I can, I can speak Filipino. I, speak I have a Filipino word. friend. No, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Like yeah, that's no. how I feel like I just did. <laughs> but I mean, like, cause I, you know, I picked up some Polish from one of my friends, but that's cause mm-hmm. they spoke, like, that's all they spoke in her home. So whenever I went over there, I was like, I don't know what anyone is saying. <laughs> so I picked up on a few words. 
Um, anyways, so three of her eight siblings would die in infancy, Aww. and an older sister would die from appendicitis at age 11. Oh. The death of her younger sister, Elisa, who had made known her desire to become a doctor um, for the poor, inspired Faye to choose that a career in medicine as well. Aw. That's super sweet. I yeah. like that. So she enrolled in the University of the Philippines in 1926 and earned her medical degree in 1933, graduating as class valedictorian. She's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this hard. I want to be the very best. You like no doc ever was. <laughs> <laughs> she passed the medical board exam that same year, placing third among the examinees. Her exposure while in medical school to various health conditions afflicting children in the various provinces of the Philippines, particularly in Marin Duque, where her father came from, led her to choose pediatrics as her specialization. Oh, man. Amazing. Uh, like, honestly, doctors that work with kids blow my mind because I were I've worked with healthy kids and that shit's rough. Like they're obnoxious. They're whiny. They're needy. But then to be working with kids oh, yeah. who are sick or like super not feeling their well, best. Like, I feel the same about like psychologists that want to work with like little, little kids. Cause I'm like that, like, you know, that that's like what they're dealing with is not going to be good. Your age and your level of trauma do not compute. Exactly. This is awful. And I'm like, so one of my teachers, yeah, works with like, that's what she calls them. She calls them little littles. Oh, um, little and I'm like, littles. I could not do that. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, well, we need kids, everyone. Yeah. With just like, I mean, their brains just aren't growing yet and they can't communicate like yeah, what's going on. And yeah. And then I, I don't know, like to be an adult and trying to hear a child communicate serious, big feelings and events or even issues like when we're talking yeah. about doctors, like kids can't articulate like I hurt in this specific place. And it or, feels like this. Exactly. Yeah. But like, I don't know that, that that's got to be such an odd odd experience to like hear a little kid trying to express such big feelings i think that's why like play therapy and stuff exists because kids Mm -hmm. don't know how to express it yeah anyways getting away from psychology (laughs) so the president of the philippines manuel quezon offered um faye a full scholarship to study at any medical school of her choice in the united states oh my god the president of the philippines of the country was like girl yes. you are doctoring it hard i'm gonna give you all this money pick a school you're going right. that's amazing so she cho- chose harvard because why wouldn't she? yeah you have to um, pick any school of course you're yeah, gonna choose wait harvard. what do you mean she didn't choose the university of wisconsin river falls falcons forever yeah, right so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little background here so women had been earning md degrees in the united states since elizabeth blackwell earned the first one in 1849 Still, many schools would not allow women to even enroll. Um, Even Elizabeth Blackwell was only admitted to medical college because they thought her application was a joke. The (laughs) first woman to apply to Harvard Medical School was named Harriet Hunt in 1847, and they were denied after students protested against her and three black, black students joining. Whiny bitches. If the faculty or board didn't turn them away, the students themselves would protest, claiming that, quote, whenever a woman proved herself capable of intellectual achievement, the area in question ceased to constitute an honor to the men who had previously prized it. End quote. So basically, a woman entering that field 
cheapens it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. It, it makes Ew. me think of the, the whole sanctity of marriage argument. It was like, no, if same-sex couples get married, then my marriage means nothing. It's like, those things don't. Exactly. That they, makes they are literally not correlated. No it reminds me, too, of the, the Edinburgh Seven that we covered way yeah. back in episode two because they were literally like a mob tried yeah, to assault them. It was insane. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know women trying to get an education was so triggering for you assholes. Right. Harvard even once turned down $200,000 donation in 1882, which is worth over $4 million today. And the the reason they turned it down is because the condition it was offered on is that, quote, its advantage can be offered to women on equal terms with men. And they were like, nah. Boo. Right? At the beginning of the 20th century, however, Harvard Medical School was beginning to waver in its stand against women applicants. The pressure of World War I and the Great Depression resulted in an increased shortage of male applicants, and the school held several meetings in the 30s and 40s to discuss the inclusion of women. Because, you know, that's a thing you need multiple meetings over two decades to discuss. Yeah. It was during these debates that the school received Faye Del Mundo's application... Due to an oversight, officials didn't realize Faye's gender and unwittingly enrolled their first female student. I was just going to say, they have no idea. They probably don't know how to even pronounce right. her name, let alone what that ge- what gender might be associated with that name. Right. So th- this mistake wasn't realized until Faye arrived in Boston in 1936 and found she was assigned to an all-male dorm. Oh, her no. record was so strong, however, that the head of pediatrics claimed that there was no reason to turn her away since she'd already been admitted. And Faye Del Mundo then became the first female student at Harvard and the only woman to be enrolled at the time. Did she have to have a roommate, though? I don't know. So that's that's one version of the story. That that could be like, uh, that actually sounds like a manga, like a shoujo manga. It really does. Yeah. Like, um, or uh, what's that movie? She's My the Time man. in the Harvard Dorms. <laughs> <laughs> what movie? Uh, she's the Man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, where, where like, yeah, she pretends to be your brother in an all-boys school and... Yeah, right. There's actually, there's a shoujo manga, and part of the premise was that a formerly all-girls school was going to start accepting boys, and one of the boys couldn't, like, see women. He only saw them as chickens, because he had... He used to be like like a little preschool playa, and then he got mobbed by a bunch of literal chickens, and his, like, Lothario element plus chicken trauma resulted in him seeing women as chickens and what? like he was scared that of them. That sounds weird as fuck. It was Dark super side good of though. The manga did you find? <laughs> I might I might be misremembering it a bit, but it was really good and that the, sounds amazing. The girl's big thing was that she had super like poofy, frizzy hair. So was and she, she could never straighten it. Chicken? Apparently. I think it was part I think part of it was she was like one of the only people he didn't see as a chicken or something. Weird. Interesting. God, I need to look that up because that was that was it was actually good. The way I'm describing it, it sounds like garbage, but it doesn't sound like garbage. No. It sounds weird but interesting. Here's yeah. the thing, like every drama, every manga, anime, whatever, if you describe it in its most basic terms, it sounds insane. But then when you put it all together, it's like this is majestic. Yep, I was going to say the same thing about any manga or anime I've ever seen. You start talking about the characters and their interactions, and you're like, did you write this or watch this when you were high? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, like, whoa, <laughs> I literally didn't understand how fucked up this all was until I said it out loud. <laughs> Is it My Little Monster? No. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll look I, it up Because I Googled manga with a boy seeing girls as chickens, and that's the one that came up. Interesting. 
I know there's like a lot of different mangas that I've read in the past that has kind of that same trope, except mm-hmm. um, the ones that I've liked is like kind of the reverse harem. So it's the girl that ends up going to the all guys. <laughs> Again, I, I swear I don't have a type, but um, yeah. Anyways. Anyways, back to the story. So that that's one version of Faye's adventure in the USA. Um, while another scholar writes that while um, it is said that she's been Harvard's first woman or that she was the, the first woman enrolled in their pediatrics or the first Asian student, um, according to Harvard or According to an archivist at Harvard and School of Medicines that while Del Mundo, Dr. Del Mundo was remarkable in many ways, the evidence that she was a student at Harvard Medical School is largely anecdotal and not well sourced. As far- uh, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you really quick. I was able to find the name. It's Happy Hustle High Okay. by Rita Takata, who also wrote Wild Act, okay. which is another really good one, but it's also kind of fucked up, but all manga is. <laughs> So as far as this person learned in their research using Harvard Medical School's catalogs and records, um, it did it showed that she earned her medical degree from the University of Philippines and then came to Boston to study her her further her studies in pediatric. The fact that Harvard Medical School did not admit women students and Dr. Del Mundo had already earned her medical degree suggests that she was not admitted as a student, even in error. But I cannot for. And I cannot find proof that she gradu- graduated from Harvard Medical School. Instead, it seems more likely that she completed uh, graduate work at Harvard Medical School um, through working at Boston's Children's Hospital. She's listed as an assistant physician at Boston Children's Hospital and a research fellow in pediatrics in 1940. Further suggesting that she was a graduate student and not a medical student, in her autobiographical statement in Women Physicians of the World, Dr. Del Mundo explains, quote, I spent three years of my postgraduate studies at the Children's Hospital in Boston and at Harvard Medical School, one year at the University of Chicago, six months at John Hopkins Hospital, and a short terms in various pediatric institutes, all to round out my training. Good God. Wow. The fact that I recognize those as like being big names right. as a person who's not in the medical field so is a big deal. She either was the first woman at Harvard or first Asian woman, or first, or she wasn't actually admitted to the medical school and uh, did post-grad work there. That one sounds more plausible to me. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense, especially if she already had Exactly. The I'm like, why work? would she need another medical degree if she already has one? Yeah. No, and I, and I was going to ask that, too. Like, I mean, it sounds like more like her her whole travels to the U.S. was really to further her right. education and not... Yeah, it, it sounds... I feel like people attributing the first to her was just, you know, an accident because they, like, she was there, but she wasn't necessarily a student. Mm-hmm. So after attending the University of Chicago and completing um, her master's degree in bacteriology at the Boston University School of Medicine, Faye returned to the Philippines in 1941, shortly before the Japanese invasion of the country. Oh. Great time. Jeez. She had she began working with the International Red Cross and volunteered to care for the children internees that uh, that were then detained at the University of Santo Tomas internment camp for foreign nationals. So she's working with the foreign nationals kids that were in this internment camp in the Philippines. She would go on to set up a hospice at the internment camp during the Japanese invasion of her country. She would become known as the Angel of Santo Tomas. For her work helping children detained there. That is so sad. Right. Like, bless her heart for helping these people, but the circumstances under which 
she's working is just fucking awful. The Japanese would go on to shut down her hospice in 1943, but the mayor of Manila asked her to set up a government hospital. The hospital was later converted into a full care medical center to cope with the mounting casualties during the Battle of Manila and would be renamed the North General Hospital, later uh, renamed the Jose R. Reyes Memorial Medical Center. Uh, Faye would remain the hospital's director until 1948 when she would become frustrated with the constraints of working for the government and all the bureaucracy and she would left to, she would leave to start her own hospital. That sounds super familiar. Like so many of those jobs that are really like good for humanity, you know, like social work, being a doctor, uh, helping people like there's so much bureaucracy. They come with a, yeah, there's a lot so of much red tape, and it feels like all you want to do is help people, and all there are barriers to doing that. Right. So to fund her hospital, Faye had to sell her home and almost everything she owned, and also she had to obtain a sizable grant from the GSIS or the Government Service Insurance System. But she was able to build her own hospital that was named the Children's Medical Center, and it was in Quezon City, and it was the first pediatric hospital in the Philippines. Wow. Really? Like, just pediatric. Like, it wasn't the first hospital in the Philippines. No, 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 I I understand. the first pediatric hospital. I get- Interesting that they didn't have one, though, beforehand. Yeah, I guess that also surprises me, but also, we live in the United States that's freaking massive. Yeah. Like- Yeah, the Philippines is- Fairly small. Yeah, we got we got hospitals on every fucking corner, and no one can afford them. Right? <laughs> so the hospital opened in 1957, and the following year, she um, transferred her ownership of the hospital to a board of trustees. She was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to manage this alone. Like, we'll have a whole board do it. The hospital was expanded in 1966 through the establishment of the Institute of Maternal and Child Health, which was the first institute of its kind in Asia. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. So while Dr. Del Mundo continued to practice pediatrics at the Children's Medical Center, she also continued or she was researching infectious diseases. Undaunted by the lack of modern laboratory facilities in the Philippines, she would ship samples abroad for analysis. She's like, I'm going to get shit done. In the 1950s, she pursued studies on, on dengue fever, which is super common in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not here. Um, And at that time, very little was known about dengue fever. Um, Her clinical observations on dengue and the findings of research she later undertook on the disease are said to have, quote, led to fuller understanding of dengue fever as it afflicts the young. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I I was going to say dengue fever is one of those things I've heard of where it's like you go you go to the tropics and it's like, don't get dengue fever. It just seems like the. Sounds I, like the I standard to, tropical yeah. disease. I listened to an episode of um, this podcast will kill you. This podcast will kill you on <laughs> yep. dengue fever. Ugh. I'm pretty sure say, you might have been in the car with yep, me. Yep, yep. When we listened to that one, and it is brutal. It's bad. Um, in her lifetime, she would publish over a hundred articles, reviews, and reports in medical journals. Journals. <laughs> her research into dengue fever, especially, contributed to the greater understanding of how the z- disease works, and particularly affects children. The rural juror. That remind right? me, how is dengue fever spread? Is it is mosquitoes? it in, mosquitoes? I thought it was insect borne. I was gonna say if you've ever watched any of those shows where it's like the top dangerous animals, if there's yeah, ever mos- mosquito borne tropical okay, disease. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, if there's ever a mosquito on the list, the mosquito is always the deadliest. Yeah. Every time. 
Um, Faye would also write a book called Textbook of Pediatrics, which was used in medical schools in the Philippines for many years. Throughout her career, she was active in promoting public health with an emphasis on rural mothers and their children. Aww. You know, people that really needed the help. Yeah, and might not have access to it. Right. It's amazing. Um, she would organize rural extension teams to advise mothers on breastfeeding and childcare and would promote the idea of linking hospitals to the community through public immersion of physicians and other medical personnel to allow for greater coordination among healthcare workers and the public for common health programs such as immunization and nutrition. So she's like, go out, get to know your community, let them get to know you. So it almost um, sounds like she started a Doctors Without Borders program within well, Philippines. Kind of, but sort at the of, same time, like, it's more like getting to know your community versus fair, going yeah. somewhere else. But then she's focusing on, like, the prevention. Yep. You know, it's like, hey, let, let's keep you healthy so you don't end up in the hospital. Exactly. Yes. She called for greater innovation of midwives into the medical community, considering their more viable presence within rural communities. You know, they're like, we can't have doctors in all of these communities because there's a lot of small villages scattered throughout the Philippines. Right. And they're like, so if we can just train the midwives that are living in these villages, we're going to do a world of good, basically. Call the midwife! Um. <laughs> so the interesting thing is she was a devout Catholic, um, but she was still an advocate of family. Pan- she was also an advocate of family planning and population control. So she was a devout Catholic, but she was like, yay, birth control, kind of. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, uh, there, there's or at this least idea- being smart about it. Yeah. And there is this idea that you can't have a, a scientific mindset and a religious one that they're incompatible. I'm like, I don't think that's true at all. No, not at all. Every religion, like Catholicism, has different levels, you right. know. Exactly. Judaism, all of them have different, like, levels from, you know, a little more liberal to more orthodox. And you're allowed to interpret it how you want, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Like, I, I went to a Catholic school. My mom was Catholic. She was never like, birth control is the devil. Right. No, mine weren't either. So Faye was also known for having devised an incubator for babies that was made out of bamboo designed for use in rural communities that didn't have power. Aww. Isn't that neat? So remember how I mentioned that she sold her house? Yeah. Yeah. So Faye lived above the hospital and she lived above the hospital for the rest of her life and would go on making rounds to check on patients when she was wheelchair bound at the age of 99. Oh my God, Faye. She passed away from a heart attack just a few months before her 100th birthday in 2011. Oh Oh my my God. God. She's like Betty White. (laughs) So legacy. Medicine in the Philippines was super revolutionized by Faye, obviously. She made numerous breakthroughs in pediatrics, such as immunizations, treatment of jaundice, and providing accessible health care to countless families living in poverty and rural areas in the Philippines. She was declared as a national scientist of the Philippines in 1980, the first Filipino woman to be named so. Um, she won several international honors, such as the Elizabeth Blackwell Award for Outstanding Service to Mankind, uh, outstanding pediatrician and humanitarian by the International Pediatric Association. She was also awarded the Raymond Meg Sese Award for Public Service. She was an honorary member of the American Pediatric Society and a, con- a consultant for WHO, the World Health Organization. That's pretty wow. cool. Yeah. That's impressive. She also received the Blessed Teresa of Calcutta Award. Um, yeah. And then in 2010, so just a year before she died, President Gloria Macapagala 
Arayo, I'm so sorry, awarded Del Mundo the order of La Candula with the rank of Bayani at the Malcana Pal- Palace. So that's like a really high f- like Filipino award. Yeah. And then posthumously. 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 I know it doesn't like I keep thinking of my second grade teacher being like sounded out and I'm like, shut up. Sounded out would be post. Humiously. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't say it. Um, she was conferred the Grand Collar of the Order of the Golden Heart Award. Aww. And then on November 27th, 2018, a Google Doodle was displayed to celebrate her 107th birthday. Aww. She, what a fucking angel. Like, Aww. seriously, they called her the Angel of Santo Tomas. Like, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. She was like a, the angel of the Philippines. She was Jesus doing Christ. God's work for sure. But yeah, I, I came across her and I was like, yep, this is, this is happening. Yeah. It blows my mind that people who do that much good can be in the world sometimes where I'm I just, just envision like, her rolling around in her like we actually had a nurse at St. Mary's Hospital that died like five years ago now that she, that's what she would do she would just roll around in her wheelchair checking on people that is amazing I'm just I'm always in awe of like the women that you guys cover but like just sitting here in a you know live listening to the stories is just it's amazing opportunity uh and just yeah she's just a saint like, I mean, she's a saint herself, like not just an angel. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Well, excuse me while I feel inadequate with the to cut good that I'm trying to put out in the world. <laughs> I woke up this morning. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I put pants on. <laughs> I got dressed. I showered. And I only cried a little. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I cried an appropriate amount in the yeah. shower. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that story. You're welcome. Today, I am whining about Savitri by Poulet. Uh, I'm titling the story India's Ultimate Power Couple with the alternative title that my friend Tierney came up with, Sorry Not Sorry. And you're going to get that. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yep. Oh, boy. So this I, I put in like my pronunciation notes, but I'm not great at pronouncing Indian words, so let's just uh, I mean, Hindi you're words. Probably excuse gonna me. Do better than I what I just did. You know, we're we're just gonna buckle up for some some linguistic butchery. It's gonna be fine. It's fine. I just want to say you're both very brave for all the pronunciations you guys always do. I mean, we Thank did you. start this year by saying "strap in" and "strap on." So. Yeah. We, we started this Prepare. year with let's murder a bunch of rapists and also just be amazing works of art energy. That yeah. was our first episode, murder rapists and look good doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so Savitri Bai Poulet was born on January 3rd, 1831. So not that, like, as of this recording, not that long ago. Yeah. You know, in days, not years. <laughs> um, in the village of Naigon in Satara district of Maharashtra, India. So Maharashtra is the state. India is the country. And then the district. So, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I I used to think when I was little that the United States was the only place that had states. And it's like, no, India has states. Like, plenty of places have states. Right. Emily. So, um, Maharashtra is India's most populous state and is located in the western central part of the Indian Peninsula. So I always recognize India because it kind of looks like um, an elephant a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So it's like under the, it's like in the central west part of the trunk. Yeah. 
So she was the eldest star of Lakshmi and Kandoji, who were members of the Molly class, also known as the cultivator caste, who traditionally held like horticulture jobs. The Molly caste can be broken down even further depending on what the person's specific profession was. For mm-hmm. example, there's Jire Molly, who grew cumin, Pool Molly, or Floris, and Haldi Molly, cultivate turmeric, like that okay. kind of thing. Okay. Um, so just a super quick refresher course on India's really depressing caste system. The caste system divides Hindus into social classes, which they are born into and are largely unable to escape. Your caste determines everything about your life from who you can marry, jobs you can or cannot have and possible prosperity. If you're born into the Dalit class, which is the lowest caste, you are considered an outcast and untouchable. You are literally the worst of the worst. And you can only have jobs that have to deal with like filth or death or servitude. And you're not allowed to have an education. And that is a really brief overview. There's a ton more like ways that people in these classes are oppressed. It's very broad. Imagine oppression. And then, yeah, it's that. So the justification for the caste system is reincarnation. So the idea being that if you were a good person in your previous life, you deserve to be born into a higher caste. And therefore, those born into the lower classes basically brought on themselves. Super fun. Victim blaming like from the second you burst from someone's (sighs) womb. Like, good Lord. How dare you be born? Yeah, it's basically. Just, well, and and what like the ultimate justification to discriminate and disenfranchise people like, oh, oh yeah. You you deserve this. Like yeah. you're you're this not is, worthy. This is how your life is. Yeah. So, how do you advance in the caste system? You don't. You just try to live a good life and hope for a better lot in your next. That's terrible. Which, wow. you know, it's a long, rough, awful life. As such, Savichi Bai was born into the Molly cast, and I couldn't find exactly where this falls on the cast system because there's like one, two, four, five, and yeah. I, I was, I was having a hard time like figuring it out. But I think the Molly is like a subsect of a different class. Like I think it's a specific, more specific one. I wonder if it has to do with like agriculture in general. So Shudras, which are the second to lowest are farmers and those who serve other classes. So it kind of sounds like she was maybe on that tier. So like she's not, not doing great. Savichi Bai was very curious and ambitious as a child, but obviously was not given the opportunity to hone these characteristics because... Because that's not what she was born to do. We're not going to educate this uh, low-class girl. We're not doing it. She didn't receive an education, and she was illiterate. And then she was married off to Jyotirao Pule when she was only nine years old. Whoa. What? Uh, How old was he? Thirteen. They're literal children. Yeah. The child couple moved to Pune in Maharashtra, where uh, Giotaro worked on a farm. They're children. They yeah. sent children, married children, and then they sent them off to live on their own. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think he, they, they lived with his father. Oh, okay. And okay. worked on a farm. <laughs> I was just going to be like, um, all right. But, be like, but I have still, a lot of questions. Yeah. Yes. Lots of questions. So I just want to like really quick, take a second to ease everyone's mind. Savitri Bai and 
Giotiro, uh, they seem to have a really good relationship. That's uh, good. Good. despite good. this really like nightmare fuel beginning, Savitri Bai said to said of him, "quote My husband is a godlike man. He is beyond comparison in the world. Nobody can equal him." And and you'll see, he's he's a cool dude. So Aww. the circumstances suck, but it turns out okay. Okay. So j- j- just before we're all like, ew. <laughs> Right. I mean, still a little ew, but still at least ew, but we don't not, have to be mad at him. Well, and yeah. at least he's not like significantly older than her. Yeah, I actually I had to like, do the math on it kind of because children. I assumed I was like he was twenty. Her. Yeah, well, yeah, I was like really worried. You're like, yeah, it was his thirty five. Yeah, that's what I was man. waiting for. <laughs> yeah, it took a nine year old wife. She was nine. He was fifty. It was not okay. It was not fine. I'm gonna go vomit. Yeah, Savitri buys prized possession was a book that a Christian missionary gave her and her husband could see how enthusiastic Savitri Bai was about learning and taught her to read and write along with his sister Saguna Bai and uh, his maternal aunt's daughter so he knows how to read and write and he's teaching the women or girls excuse me in his life how to also read and write which is awe I'm like oh you're so mature for a 13 year old most 13 year olds are like ew cuties girls But I guess if you're married at 13, you have to kind of like have more advanced feelings about the opposite side. Right. I don't know. <laughs> so Savitri Bai continued her education with Giotaro's friends as her teachers. So then even like when he had taught her everything he could, his friends jumped in and were like, That's let awesome. me teach you some other stuff. Wow. Which I'm like, oh my God, this is such a cool story. That never fucking happened. Right? No, that's <laughs> like... That's amazing that even his friends, instead of being like, that's not what happens. That's not what we do. They're like, yeah, "Yeah, let me teach you. What I was going to say, like, yeah, normally like children around that age is just like, they're very impressionable by, you know, those that are older than them. So for them to like step in and being like, yeah, oh no, no, that's fine. We'll, We'll teach her. That's cool. So then the illiterate girl who had been married off at nine years old and been educated by her teenage husband and his friends enrolled in a teacher's training program. I'm like, this is the craziest origin story I feel like we've told. Like, what? All of this just sounds awful, but then, like, it somehow worked out. Yeah. Just like, because, how people, insane. because people decided to not be assholes. Like, she almost has a better life because they married her off super young and sent her away. Yeah. So she graduated from the program in 1847 at only 16 years old and is credited with becoming the first female teacher in India. Oh, now, wow. like she she was educated at these. Uh, so Britain has control of India at this point, And this was like a missionary school that was like run by a, a Western lady. So I don't want to be like, yeah, she was the first ever female teacher. I don't know if that's true, but at least educated in this sense. Yeah. Yep. Mm hmm. So Savitri Bai got to work teaching local girls along with Saguna Bai, her sister-in-law. That's awesome. Giotaro was a progressive social reformer in his own right, and the three teamed up to open their own school at Bidawada, which was the home of a local man who believed in what the group was doing. He's like, oh, hey, you need my house to teach some girls? Let's do this. That's amazing. I'll make cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. This really is a fabulous origin story. Yeah. Like, right? what could have gone terribly wrong? I mean, I just... I mean, be- it's still terribly wrong, but the... B- before you guys, like, get super excited, shit goes 
horribly wrong. Yeah, there, there's some bad stuff in this, but yeah. uh, overall, it's like, man, you're finding let's, all these cool stop, people. Let's just stop here. Then. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with. And she you guys. was a cool teacher. She got an apple every day from her students, and it was fine. So at these schools, they taught math, science, and social studies and were so successful that by 1851, they were running three girls' schools with a total wow. of 150 students. Damn. These schools catered to girls and women of all classes, not just the elite. Yeah, that's probably why they were going to get in trouble. Yep. And uh, were open to those in na- from neighboring villages, too. So it's not like like they're trying to help yeah, as many help people as, as possible. Anyone they can. Yeah. The schools were also highly effective, offering a better education than government schools. Like, people Ooh. knew these schools were giving kids a better education than the government-run ones, which it's, like, embarrassing. Yeah, They're running that. these schools out of some people's houses. <laughs> this chick was illiterate for the first half of her life. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Do better. Right? Come on, Government. Government. So the schools were so good that the girls enrolled outnumbered the boys enrolled in government schools. Like they're getting a better education. They're serving more students. Like they are straight up slaying it. But as always in these stories, not everyone was peachy keen jelly bean on Savitri by teaching girls, educating girls. What? No. Ew, cooties. While walking to school to teach, she was screamed at, assaulted with stones, and had dung thrown at her. This was like a regular thing, and it was so regular that she got into the habit of carrying a spare sari with her that she could change into when she got to school. That's awful. So she's always got a spare sari because she's being assaulted on her way to work. That's terrible. But you know what? She's just like, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to change, and I'm going to teach these people. Yep. Keep doing, doing. Savitri Bai and her husband were living with his father at the time who kicked them out because he thought their work educating girls was a sin. He was, I'm like, how did Giotaro become so chill because his dad was super, uh, it it sounds like a lot more conservative. Okay. And so he's like, what, you're, you're teaching girls to read and write and do stuff? No, get out of my fucking house because you are literally committing a sin. Yeah, he's kind of like the black sheep of the family then because he's going against the best way. (laughs) Fortunately, the couple was able to move in with a friend where Savitri Bai met Fatima Begum Sheik and the two became fast friends. They both attended and graduated from a local normal school. And for anyone that doesn't know, normal schools are schools that teach teachers to be teachers so that they can teach teachers. This is this weird like inception of teaching. Yeah, I, I I love the idea of a normal school where it's like, no, it's not a teaching school because that's redundant. It's just normal. It's normal. Teachception. Yes. <laughs> um, and Fatima became the first Muslim woman teacher in India, or she's credited with that. I, I doubt that's entirely true, but at least educated in this sense, which I'm like, oh my God, first on first on first. So eager to continue expanding their reach, they opened a school out of Fatima's home, or excuse me, Fatima's home as well in 1849. In total, Savitribai, Giotero, and Fatima would open 18 schools. They started two educational trusts and even opened a care center for pregnant rape victims or widows where they could safely give birth and leave the children to be adopted if needed. So, first of all, we still, even in the United States, we grapple with this idea of a, a survivor of rape being pregnant and like how to handle that and like whose choice is it is it the rapist sometimes it's like no don't so and then even widows 
there, I, I get into this a little later, but widows would at this time often throw themselves on their husband's funeral pyre and kill themselves. They were also not allowed to remarry or like basically have a life after their husbands. So they're offering very much needed care for these women who are otherwise just kind of fucked. Fun. And and giving the children an opportunity to like have a life. So while Savitri Bai is doing all this amazing work, the once illiterate woman was writing up a storm. She yeah. pumped right. She's like, right on, right on, right on. <laughs> yeah. She's writing like she's running out of time. She published books and poems which promoted feminism, education, and equal opportunities for people regardless of caste. One of her poems was aptly named Go, Get Education. (laughs) And I'm like, I love a title that's also a mission statement. I mean, and it's memorable. We're not going to forget it. Here are your instructions. Go, get education. And it encouraged uh, oppressed people to get an education as a way to free themselves. And like, yeah, it's like the more you know, the better spot you can put yourself well, in. Well, and if you look at any oppressed group anywhere in any time, one of the big things is denying them education, especially being able to read and write. Because if they if people know how to read and write, they're able to be more independent. They're able to organize. And that's not good for the ruling party. Well, and I'm wondering if, like, um, I feel bad I can't remember his name. Uh, her husband's father who kicked him out. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe he wasn't quite as literate as what the others were. And when you are ignorant, you know, you you fall more towards the, the common values of the time or the mm-hmm. system. Yeah. And so then, like, it's hard to see those that are breaking that mold. Yeah, and it's it's kind. Of, it can also be seen as this like slap in the face of the traditional ways of things that you've grown up with and that you've hold, held dear, and you're not able to like look outside that. So in this poem, she wrote, "Quote: The lack of learning is nothing but gross bestiality." She's not throwing any punches. It is through the acquisition of knowledge that he loses his lower status and achieves a higher one. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, yeah. 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 So Savitri Bai also fought caste discrimination and traditions that victimized women. One such example was sati. So this is the one I kind of mentioned before. This was a Hindu practice where widows would throw themselves upon their deceased husband's funeral pyre and burn themselves alive. Wow. Uh... To combat this, she opened a home for widows and children in need and advocated for widows to be able to remarry and, like, have a fucking life after their husband dies. And thankful, this is no longer practiced in India. Like, this, sati is not a thing anymore. It's a historical relic. More conservative women, uh, Hindu women who are widowed, might wear white for the rest of their lives and never remarry. But that's a whole lot different than... But there's better care now. Yeah. Like yeah. You're allowed to remarry yeah, if you I, want to. And. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so there, there's a podcast I listen to. Um, and one of the hosts is, she has a very conservative Hindu grandmother mm. who, when her husband died, yeah, she just wears all white, uh, never plans on remarrying. But she's not judging any of the other women in their right. family because there's, there's another grandchild who lost her husband and doesn't wear white does hopefully plan to remarry because she's young and that kind of thing. And and the grandmother isn't going to judge them for it. Right. It's like, let people do what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, recognize that maybe your choice is not the best choice for everyone. So 
As I mentioned before, and I will continue to mention, caste discrimination was a serious problem. Those in lower caste were not allowed to draw water from the village well. This is like another one of those weird little like, how can we like really kick you when you're down? Oh, you can't draw water from the community well. Where are you going to get water? I don't fucking know. I don't care. It's not my problem. So naturally, Savitri Bayan, Giotaro dug a well in their own backyard for people to use. They're like, oh, you won't let them use your well? I'm going to make my own well. <laughs> and apparently people lost their minds. They're like, how oh, dare you? You can't do that. Shame. It's like, it's a hole in the, calm down. People got a drink, okay? This is my well. I can do whatever I want. Right. Yeah. This is my hole in the ground, bitch. Don't tread on my well. So Savitri Bai's activism put her in constant danger of retaliation. As we've already discussed, she was like hit with rocks and assaulted and had literal shit thrown at her. And in one instance, she learned about a man who was going to be lynched for being in a relationship with a woman of a lower caste because there is no intermingling. Savitri Bai wrote of the incident, quote, I came to know about their murderous plan. I rushed to the spot and scared them away, pointing out that the grave consequences of killing the lovers under British law... They changed their minds. They changed their mind after listening to me. So she like wow. scolded them into yeah. backing the fuck off. Wow. That's great. Which I'm like, okay, there's a mob of people who's really excited about murdering some other people. And she's like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to tell them to like back the fuck off. Like, how do you get out of that and not get murdered yourself? That is amazing. Talk about Courage and power. Yeah. The ovaries are strong with this one. She overed up. That's yeah, she overed up. up. I had a I had a professor in college where he's like, I don't understand why, you know, people like say, oh, you got a lot of balls. Those things are delicate and like any little vibration can hurt them. But ovaries, those things can take a beating. You got to ove up. And I'm like, I know I'm in college now, but this feels weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is this weird or am I just still a baby? It's a little weird. (laughs) Do all professors talk through students like this? Um, So Giotaro and uh, Savitri, oh my God, Savatri Bai co-founded the Satya Shodhak Samaj or Truth Seeker Society. And this was a social reform group that advocated for expanded education, social rights, and fought against discrimination in all its forms. So they're like, hey, as people, we can all do better. Let's do better. So Savitri Bai headed the women's section of this group and played a major role in shaping its mission and its activities. She began officiating Satya Shodhak uh, weddings and rejected Brahmanical rituals. And so these are the rituals of the highest class. And they're very like, oh, you have to do this. We're going to do our own things. Yeah. And so, so what her rituals did or her weddings, it allowed couples to write their own vows. In particular, they would vow to support education and equality, like in each other and in society. So like super progressive. Wow. And I guess they're still happening. So I found some pictures of a modern... So I'm, I practice this word, but I keep having to go back to my pronunciation guy. Satya Shodak. Satya Shodak. Okay. I'm going to say it one more time. Satya Shodak. So I found some pictures of a modern Satya Shodak wedding. And in it, the guests are actually paying tributes to images of Savitri Bai, her husband and other icons of equality, That's which I'm amazing. like, what? That's amazing. And guess who made a monetary gift to the couple could take a copy of one of Giotaro's books. I'm like, Oh my God, like, 
Wow. I feel like this is one of those things like, is she a really big deal in India? And I've just never heard of him. Like, is she their Gloria Steinem where it's like, she's a household name. And I just haven't, cause we don't learn a lot about India and its history. What is other people's history in America? Right. Right. <laughs> there's America. And then there's America. <laughs> So when Giotaro passed away in 1890, Savitri Bai continued to smash gender expectations by lighting his funeral pyre herself, and she did not throw herself on it, and she took over leading the True Seeker Society. She would die only seven years later. In the most cinematic, heartbreaking, amazing way possible. Uh So in 1897, India was hit with the bubonic plague fucking awful yeah while others fled Pune to stay safe Savitri Bai stayed and opened a clinic to help treat people who were suffering from the plague she learned that a local man's 10 year old son had contracted the plague and so she traveled to their home on foot put the boy on her back like piggyback style and carried him all the way back to the hospital so he could get treatment oh my god Savitri Bai contracted the plague from this boy and died on March 10th 1897 but the boy recovered and survived, which I'm like, oh my God, I'm not crying. You're crying. Sucks. No, I'm not crying. I know. Yeah. Like, but isn't that so cinematic? Like that. I mean, if you're going to go out, I guess that's a way to go out. I mean, that just like, and it's just really indicative of this heroic attitude that she has for everything. And you know, she wasn't the kind of person that was like, I'm a hero. She's like, I'm just trying to do what's right. Yeah, and I mean, like, the fact, too, that, like, she went to this whole other village, you know, carried yeah. a boy that she probably did not know at all. Ten-year-olds are heavy, can be heavy, yeah. too. That's not a baby. No. I mean, what, some ten-year-olds can weigh up to, like, 100 pounds? I don't know. I don't, I, obviously, I don't have children, <laughs> but, like, I'm assuming they're at least 100 or under. How many pounds of potatoes would you like? Oh, like a one-and-a-half ten-year-olds. One-and-a-half ten-year-olds, please. I measure weight in children. So, (laughs) legacy. Savitri Bai and Giotaro are remembered as heroes of social reform and icons to women, those in lower castes, and other marginalized groups. There are statues of this ultimate power couple in Aruganabad, Maharashtra. I'm so bad at this. Uh, The Pune city government created a memorial for Savitri Bai in 1983. Her birthday, January 3rd, is celebrated as Girl Child Day in Maharashtra. And in 2015, the University of Pune was renamed Savitri Bai Pule Pune University. And in 2007, or excuse me, 2017, Google marked her 186th birthday with a Google Doodle. Yay. Yay. And then... The moment everyone's been waiting for. For our history stamp collectors, on Yay. March 10th, 1998, India Post released a Savitri Bai stamp. I think her husband also has one, but again, this wasn't his story. He's he's super cool. Like, he's very yeah. interesting. I, if you want to learn more about him, I highly recommend it. But again, this is whining about her story. Her so, story. So her. I want to end this with a quote from Savitri Bai. Quote, we shall overcome and success will be ours in the future. The future belongs to us. So you mentioned stamps. Yes. And I want to shout someone out. Oh, yeah. Um, so underscore Luella underscore Sylvia underscore art underscore 
on Instagram made some absolutely amazing, amazing. Um, DIY stamps um, inspired by some of the women that we have covered. So you should go and check them out. She made one for Z- Zinzu Agnes. I can't tell if that's an S or a B. Sorel. I can't read her writing on some of these, but they're amazing. <laughs> and you should go check them out and follow her. Cause she said there's more to come. Well, and didn't she tag us like, yeah, oh, she inspired, said inspired by wine about by history. I was like, oh, what? I need to teach her. Is I need this to, fan I need to figure, art? Yeah. Right. Kind of. Yeah. I know. I love like we, we got those pins uh, of the fighting girlfriend and the night witches. And yeah. I'm like, this is oh, history fan art. I still have mine on my badass feminist girl gang yeah, I still have jean mine. jacket somewhere too um and yeah and seeing something like this i'm like this is like her three fan art and i love it i love it so, I love much. It so much but yeah i wanted to shout her out because you saying stamps i was like ah i forgot about something i i was thinking about it today i was like oh we gotta talk about that and then i totally forgot it's okay i got you thank you Suddenly. And also, I will uh, I will add that name to the episode description Yay. so you can go and check out and some we sweet did, art. I think I shared it on Instagram, so you should be able to find it on there. Sweet. Emily, what are you thankful for? Oh, fuck. I gotta do one of these again? Stop <sighs> blowing your load on the first episode. I know. I said like two things, which was stupid. I am thankful for this apple cider and good company. Cause sometimes it's just the little things that get you through life, like apple cider and good company. Yeah. I agree. I'm also really glad I don't have COVID because it seems like everyone else is getting it. So many people. Like I just want to live in a bubble right now. Yeah. I, it's funny because I haven't had this much anxiety uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. And even then I didn't have a ton of anxiety. It's like, I'll just, I'll stay home. I'll be Mm -hmm. safe. But it's like, I'm I'm fully vaccinated. I got my booster, so I should be able to stay out of the hospital, which is really the important thing because one, I can't afford to be in the hospital. Two, they don't have room for me in the hospital. And then three, like other people need to go to the hospital for non-COVID things and I would be right. taking like I don't want to yeah. end up there because of that. It's valid. Yeah. Hey Katie. Yeah. What are you thankful for? Uh I am thankful for friends. Uh, definitely have had kind of a rough couple of weeks just up and down emotionally. And so then it was, it's kind of nice to, to get away from the house and like you said, good company. Kelly. No, you're supposed to forget about me over here. <laughs> no, <laughs> not how it works. Kelly, Kelly's the kid in class where like they're, they're reading a lot line by line and going down the row of desks and she's like, please skip me, please skip me, please skip me. I'm invisible. Yep. Um, The squinting of indecision. Yeah, I know. Because I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, you blew your load on the first episode, too. I kind of, I, I mean, I kind of just want to repeat everybody, but that's not, it's not cool. I mean, honestly, three girls in a podcast. Yeah. It's a lot to be thankful for. Yeah, there, there you is. go. Yeah. Three girls in a podcast. I don't know. And all, all the good I get, like, the fact that I can be in school and work and do the podcast. And I'm not completely falling apart. You're such a I'm modern thankful. woman doing it all. You're amazing. Yeah, just don't sleep. It's fine. I actually, it popped up on my Facebook memories. There was this uh, incident, sounds negative, event. I was going into like a local drugstore a few years ago and it's got like the double door. So there's like the vestibule and then you go into the actual store. Mm -hmm. So I'm going in, a man is leaving and we both like hold the door uh, open for each other. 
and he walks through my door. He goes, all these empowered women. I just love it. And yeah. I'm like, oh my. You're just like, I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment. No, it was, his his energy was very positive. Oh, He's good. like, oh yeah, women hold doors open. That's fucking cool. And I'm like, yeah, because we do it all, including holding open doors. I've definitely gotten that before guys surprised when I've opened and held the doors for them. Like, Yeah, but I've what? had guys be like douchebag. In River Falls one time, it was one of the ROT, ROCT guys, like the ROTC. Army. Yeah. And then I held the door for him and he like just made a super rude comment. And Ugh. I'm like, fuck you. Fine. Aren't you fighting for my right to open doors yeah, for right? people? <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. Our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you. We also have a Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 to, $1. Get, to get some bonus content. We also have some merch that you can find on our website. Buy some merch. Buy some merch. Good gifts. Buy the merch. Do it. Fucking do it. And rate us five stars anywhere you listen. It really, really helps. And uh, this will be the last time I say it. You can now rate on Spotify. So if you listen on Spotify, please rate us. Please do. I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> you actually have. To, so I actually really like this because I was on Spotify the other day. You actually have to listen to a few episodes of the podcast before they let you rate it. You can't just rate it, which oh, I love. I've listened to 45 of I know. Them. I was going <laughs> to say, Katie's saying, fine. <laughs> I, I love it because it just it means like if someone's like, oh, this podcast is terrible, people can't just go and be like, oh, one star because yeah. somebody else said it. Like they actually have to like listen to a few nice. episodes. I like that. I was like, okay, yeah. that's smart Spotify. Yeah. Smart. I like that. At, at least if we get negative reviews on Spotify, I know we got like some downloads out of that yeah, negative right. review. Well, we got <laughs> at least you. five downloads out of your ass. So thank you. you. Listen to us five times yeah so uh -huh. thank you <laughs> you have wasted at least five hours of your life you're welcome all right well as always i'm emily i'm kelly and i'm caitlin and have an empowered day bye, bye.